Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 7 of Hometown Glory, your Spurs and Culture podcast. I'm Charlie and I am delighted that Rosa and Tom join me to run through two wins over Leicester City this weekend. We'll also, of course, have some culture picks for you. But let's get at it, you both. Um, the Saturday fixture first, Tottenham Hotspur 6, Leicester City 2. Um, Rosa, I very much enjoyed what you joked to me straight after the game. Um just a regulation thrashing over a relegation-haunted team. Nothing to see here, um, except there kind of was plenty to see there at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Saturday, right? Um, let's start. Where, where do we start with such a bonkers game? Rose, uh, right at the beginning, perhaps? I feel like this is your chance to, um, if not to defend Davinson Sanchez's honour, then at least this is just your opportunity to talk about have before Tom and I do <laughs> I'm gonna do it I don't care I said I would and I'm gonna do it and I've really thought about it as well however sad that makes me um I think yeah one totally normal thrashing nothing else to see here not a problem um the big issue I think is that there were just too many changes all at once I think that defense is really well drilled but it's well drilled with the gentleman diet Romero kind of holy trinity and I don't feel like we're quite at a sort of plug and play situation yet so I think while you can you can take out one of them you can't take out two so I feel like that put Dav at a disadvantage number one number two I don't actually like I've watched the penalty again (laughs) And I don't, and I think it's actually oh, really unlucky. It's really unfortunate. <laughs> no, I do. <laughs> so one, you think, hang on, is, you think you think he was unlucky that I he do, got a penalty I really do. given against yeah. him? No, I mean obviously it was a penalty, but okay. if you go through it, okay, so he makes a horrible mistake to start with. Yes, fine. Then he tries to recover. Then Perisic makes a horrible mistake. Perisic then, makes two quite wild lunges, if I think. I think there you go. See, not that just makes, one. That but makes two. sort of three mistakes, and Perisic 
too. So it was a it was a farcical situation. Yeah. Right? So but um, so by the end, it's just a disaster. But also, if you look at where he like, obviously he takes him out. So you know, it's a foul one way or the other. But it's so close to being <laughs> to not being a penalty to being just outside the box. So I feel like the gods were just not smiling upon him that day. And I don't think even that, you know, even the biggest Dav haters, I think would have to admit that that was like unexpectedly poor. Like he's not that poor. Like I think he's, a, he's obviously he's not Romero level. That's fine. But I think he is a decent, decent deputy. And that was quite unexpected. And given the context of everybody else playing like, like old Tottenham, I guess it doesn't look that crazy to me. Because that whole defence was bananas that first half, right? We've restricted every other team to like very, very, very few chances. Even Chelsea at Stamford Bridge had a few, had hardly any chances at all. And those were like from distance. But that mm. game, that first half, it was just like, yeah, just come right at us, come all the way at us. So I just don't <laughs> think, I don't, I just, that's not on Dav. I'm sorry, but it's not. On Dav, I mean, I've defended him quite a lot as well, but he it was a soft penalty, but we kind of do eventually have to ask yourself, how unlucky is he? How many times can he Very, Tom. That Very. <laughs> That's my answer. <laughs> but <clears throat> I just wanted to agree with your point that especially that first 45 minutes, the entire back five, were a shambles, weren't they, really? Yeah. Um, yeah. Perisic was good going forward and terrible. So was Cess, I think. Defending. Yeah. I think Cess had a lot of fun going forward as well. Yeah. Both of the wingbacks were good going forward, terrible defending. Yeah. Uh, Longley doesn't offer much as a defender, I don't think. Like, his passing is, is really... He's quite good. passive, isn't he? He's quite yeah. sort of... He doesn't... He's sort of like the photo negative of Romero, who has never met an opportunity to clobber someone that he turned down. Whereas Longley comes from that sort of, if I don't dive in, then nothing bad will happen. So I'm just going to sort of not do anything and it'll be fine. And most of the time it kind of is fine. It because was I think fun, often but also defenders... that said, yeah. He didn't make any, like, like we didn't notice him making any like outrageous mistakes. And in the context of that first half, that was, his, <laughs> that was like the best that could be hoped for. Yeah, because it was chaos. It was complete chaos. And I mean, even, you know, I will, we'll get on to the second half, but all the way through to basically the fourth goal, yeah, 3-2, it was still very much, oh God, this is going to be a 4-3, 5-4 sort of bonkers, bonkers game. And it, it sort of reminded me of those occasional thrashings we, we would dish out in the sort of early, early noughties. We would beat like Southampton sort of 7-2 out of nowhere but never quite be in control somehow, despite winning by five clear goals, it would still feel like, you know, you were on the edge of your seat until the seventh had gone in. And it had, you know, a similar-ish vibe where, like Rosa says, we gave up so many opportunities. I mean, I think I think we gave up something like 19 shots or something, which for a Conte Spurs team is just madness. Um Tom, do you do you agree with Rosa in terms of there? I think there were four or five changes to the eleven from Sporting. Is that was that one too many? And I think obviously the glaring one felt like Romero. That considering international break was just around the corner, it wasn't like we were going to play midweek this week. Was the Romero one particularly puzzling for you? 
Yeah, we missed Romero massively, didn't we? And um, I just, sitting in the South Stand, you kind of, um, behind Hugo, you take the rough with the smooth. We watched him save that penalty, which was, you know, briefly, obviously joyous. But what was killing me yet again was Hugo playing short passes to Dav um, while Leicester were really pressing us. That was like... Yeah, just seemed totally crazy. Um, Hugo, yeah, some those short passes were doing my head in. Um, and you mentioned the chaos, actually. I took my dad to this one. He doesn't come to tons of games. Uh, gave him a ticket for his birthday. So he got, he got eight goals out of it. But it reminded me that me and him in December 2007 were at uh, the Reading game at White Hart Lane, which was the 6-4. Oh, wow. um, sort of, he, sco- he scored like four or something that day. Yeah, between Christmas and New Year. But you're right, that was, again, like very old school, total chaos, and yet we somehow scored six goals. Um, and especially after that first half, it felt it definitely felt like that kind of game. One thing we are now very good at, and that is it's not that chaotic for us, which feels like a bit of a massive sea change, is corners and set pieces. I mean, speaking of Sanchez, he obviously nearly redeemed himself just before halftime by uh, nearly sort of nodding in another really good Perisic delivery from a free kick. But the corners particularly, um, you know, we'll, we'll get on to Sonny, of course, but him being on the bench allowed Perisic sort of and Kulisevsky a couple of times, I think, free reign to sort of whip as many balls as, as they wanted, presumably... Uh, by design from our sort of brand spanking new set pieces coach, Gianni Vio, who we probably owe a, a sizable debt to for the victory on the weekend. Um, I mean, we should say, obviously, Leicester were about as bad defending corners as I've ever seen anyone ever. I think I looked it up and they've conceded 19 goals from corners since the start of the 2020-2021 season, which is just hilarious 19 goals that's so many goals from corners those feel like Tottenham stats like I'm sure this is what I mean if you go back in the past like we were that sort of team that conceded off corners so regularly they were all tiny though right I mean I know is it we we talked about it and it was just like does Brendan Rodgers just think they're really tall because he's really short (laughs) but they were definitely I felt like they were considerably shorter than our lot and I know we have quite a tall team but it just Mm. didn't bode terribly well for them did it it didn't it's the first time I I've ever nearly made a sort of in the moment prediction right when we had that third corner which um Sanchez was again quite harshly judged to foul Danny Ward in the Leicester goal and the the goal was ruled out. But I said just before, we're going to score. We're going to score from this. Leicester cannot defend corners and we are just whipping in ball after ball after ball. And we we very nearly proved me right for once, but alas, didn't. But um, Perisic on corners is just a, a revelation, right, Tom? He's just absolutely just mustered with them. I know we're going to get on to Son, but um, yeah, it's been driving me pretty nuts that he's still been taking the corners because Perisic is so good at them. Um, mm. The way he whips them in is just amazing. Plus, with we both seem... feet, of course, it's just incredible. Yeah. Plus, we seem to like doing the kind of short corner thing, and that's where Son needs to be, surely, so he can whip one mm. in from a, a kind of different, a better angle for him. Yeah. Pe- like, yeah, Perisic's corners are amazing, and that Dav one was so soft. The um, the one that was disallowed. 
Mad, absolutely mad. Um, and I loved, I, I mean, I think it was obviously something most of us enjoyed seeing Kulisewski back in the starting lineup. But that arrow of a cross for Kane's equaliser was just, I love that that's becoming one of his like textbook manoeuvres. That's just absolutely just, he, he, he hits it so hard as well. Like it's not one of these kind of dainty little floated crosses that gives the keeper a chance to come and claim it. He just whips it with such venom that all Kane has to do is just sort of put his head vaguely in the direction of the ball and you're, you're in. Love, love, love our corners at the minute, which is something I don't think I'd ever thought I would say about, about Tottenham Hotspur. Um, we mentioned the wing-backs, pretty rough day defensively. Sess kind of gets out-muscled for Leicester's equaliser for 2-2. How did we... Is the kind of Perisic on the right Sessegnon on the left and I know they swapped around at certain points but is that something we want to see more of Rosa would you want to see those two out of our options at wing back sort of become the de facto starters there I don't know about de facto starters although I do I do love Sess I think Perisic would have been fine again I just I really do feel like there were too many changes I don't feel like you can just change the back line change one whole side and Mm. just be like that's fine so I, th- I think it would have been okay with Perisic there if he'd had Romero right behind him, to be honest. I've, I feel like that just wouldn't have been, well, maybe not wouldn't have been a problem, but would have been much, much, much less of a problem. So that's, I mean, that's just, that's just it as far as I'm concerned. I would like to see it again because it was funny when Emerson finally got on, wasn't it? Because he had, he did fine after like the first five minutes was chaos. And then after that, he settled but you did, you were again reminded of what little he offers going forward, alas. Mm, alas, alas. I didn't, I didn't mind the idea of playing uh, Perisic and Sessignon as, as wing-backs, but it is fairly absurd that we've got three right-backs, three right-wing-backs, and none of them were playing, right? It's bonkers. I mean, we had... I mean, Spence again did make the bench, but yeah, it's it's not the best situation that we've got this surplus of people that Conte probably isn't that fond of in that in that position. But I think Perisic was bought so he could play kind of across all of those positions, right? So it doesn't it doesn't feel that crazy to me. I mean, I guess yeah. it just leaves you short on the left, right? If you're gonna if you're gonna start playing Perisic on the right, suddenly you've only got Sessegnon unless you bring Perisic back over to the left, but in terms of someone on the bench to come on for Sessegnon, if Perisic is doing well on the right, we're talking ourselves. Yeah, because it's true. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those weird things, isn't it? Where like Conte has this system, but the sort of fundamental, the the most important aspects of it. Well, I guess the most important is the midfield really, isn't it? But like the second most important are still like completely random and unsettled. And we're all thinking, why is this still the situation? We've had like two transfer windows. Should this not be fixed? It also, I don't know, there's this general kind of suggestion that both Skip and Doherty like aren't ready, aren't fit enough, aren't get kind of game ready as well. And yet they've been on the bench th- for most of the season now, right? Both Skip and Doherty. Mm. I don't really understand that. And like, why, if they're not ready to come on, like, why are they on the bench? For, and why have they been on the bench so much? I think this is because we talked about this a little bit last week, didn't we? And I think it's, it is because of how we've been winning games. I think if we'd 
won games more comfortably by bigger margins. We'd have seen more substitutions made earlier on. And it was sort of, it's so weird looking back at this game and thinking kind of we won it by such a large margin, but kind of so late on that again, there still wasn't really the Mm. time to make any of those substitutions really. I do think, because Billy said last week, didn't he? He thinks after the international break, we will probably see those two at least more integrated. And I would hope that happens because otherwise it's just a bit weird, isn't it? But I also feel like we're being a little bit negative. We suddenly spiraled into a little bit of negativity because it was an amazingly fun day in the end, wasn't it? Like stress aside, it was actually superb, right? Like Sunny's back. Yeah, we let's, should let's well, talk exactly. Sunny. Let's talk Sunny, right? Because that was up there. That when that goal flew in the first one, that was up there in terms of noise, in terms of emotion in the stadium, in terms of just people just bursting with relief and joy and excitement and just happiness for a player that we obviously all just adore. Um, Tom, you're obviously our, our man in the South Stand. Uh, Rosa and I are up perched in the West, so it wasn't quite perhaps the same vibe. I imagine it just exploded, right? It was incredible. And just a gorgeous moment. Yeah, I sit in the southwest corner and actually the Bentoncourt goal just before, we should like shout out Bentoncourt because he he had an incredible game, a goal and an assist, I think. Um, and one of his <laughs> Race best, is making a face. <laughs> one, of, one of his best games for us so far, I think. But um, agree, to, agree to disagree. I know this is going to sound crazy from someone who just defended Davinson Sanchez, but I feel like <laughs> Bessencourt started really well and then had like a massive wobble for ages and then came back and scored that goal and then was fine. Well, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't call that. it I like... I come on to that yeah. because I okay. feel like... I feel like that sort of central midfield roller coaster that you have to endure as both a Tottenham Hotspur player and supporter at the minute maybe speaks to a, a broader issue that I'm I'm going to get you guys on in a minute. But, but let's yeah, talk something. Let's back talk to the fun, Back to the fun. Sorry, the the Benzinko goal kind of looked like it wasn't going in from from my my corner, and it snuck in. And then that first song goal. Oh my god! Like that's a vintage. We know like he can do it and that's why it's been so frustrating until now mm. because he just hasn't found that space. And I think early on in the game, there was a point in the first half where he did a couple of weird pirouettes and kind of gave the ball away really cheaply. And, uh, you know, everyone around us was like, oh, he's just overthinking it. He's taking a touch too many every time. And then the first goal and the second goal, especially his first and second goal, he just finds space and absolute. And it's an absolute rocket. And yeah, especially both the first and second were so beautiful. But um, uh, that first one, like how he snuck it in, the keeper even went the right way, didn't he? Yeah. Like, and it snuck in the very fucking corner, like <laughs> dipped, just dipped in. It was so beautiful. And thank God, thank God he's back. The weird, um, just while we're on Sonny, on um, uh, kind of, WhatsApp group I'm on for fantasy with some old workmates. Uh, someone said before the game, like, is song, is song going to be dropped? And I said, well, he should be. And then uh, after the game, they said to me, oh, this the, the, literally, like, it was an Arsenal fan. You'll be unsurprised to know. Then replied going, this aged well. And I said, well, no, that <laughs> like it did age well because he did deserve to be dropped. Conte played a masterclass, like Conte's tactics were perfect. And he came on, had a point to prove and scored a hat-trick. It was beautiful. Thank God he's back. I think the whole day perhaps speaks to the idea that maybe we should trust that Antonio Conte knows what he's doing a wee bit, right? I think um, 
And again, as I sort of hinted at, I think it's it's a weird experience watching us right now. Yeah, because I do feel like there are definite points where it's a bit of a, it's a bit gruelling to watch us sort of give up quite so much of the ball. Leicester City turn up, the bottom of the league. Yes, they have players like Madison and Barnes and people like that that are very capable going forward. But you would expect being at home and Leicester coming off the back of five straight defeats for us to be able to sort of control the match. But such is the way that we're set up. It's it's all about end result, I guess, right? And it's all about, you know, it doesn't matter if the opposition has the ball and are passing it around all nicely and we lie in wait and we get when we get the ball, we're off to the races and we counter at 200 miles an hour, which is thrilling. And we tend to create really dangerous chances when it works. Obviously, there's been a few occasions recently you know, most of the, well, the first half of the Marseille game didn't work at all. The sporting game was a bit of a weird one all round. But it is working. We're, you know, we're unbeaten. We've played seven, one, five, drawn two. That's, you know, our best, our best start to a Premier League season in forever. But, Tom, you first. When you're watching it, how, how does it make you feel? Are you, do you get pissed off? Are you able to sort of look at the bigger picture stuff and go, well, do you know what? It's not the prettiest. It's not the most free-flowing, but I do obviously trust this world-class manager and this is how he plays and this is how he sets up and his results speak for themselves. What kind of emotional <laughs> emotional journey do you go on when watching Tottenham at the moment? And ultimately, how does it make you feel? It's quite a that big was, question, isn't it? That is a big question. There, there, was, a, <laughs> there was definitely a point in that first half where... It looked like we didn't want the ball. And um, I wasn't on the um, last podcast, but I listened to Rosa talking about, you know, this is this is Conte's style of play. We need to get used to it. You know, he's an Italian manager. Um, we're not going to play beautiful football. We're going to play pragmatic football and get results. Uh, at the same time, and I, I, I love him so much and I, I'm loving the results, but yeah, there was a point in that first half where I was like, why don't we fucking want the ball? It's Leicester. Why aren't we pressing them? <laughs> we, we were kind of sitting back and waiting for them to score, it felt like. And then obviously the kind of, besides Sonny, the thing you're then going is, well, we need another two goals before we can relax when you know there's only a one goal margin because we were defending very badly as well as we touched on. So yeah, there's definitely a roller coaster. And you know, without Son, we would have maybe scraped a 3-2 or drawn three all maybe so I don't know but yeah there's a lot it's a right it's a roller coaster but I do trust in Conte for sure. Rosa do you think it comes down to that simple fact essentially that we do have to park our sort of Spurs fan neuroses to a degree and also the desire we have as a fan base you know the sort of romanticized vision of what Tottenham Hotspur football should be Versus the fact we have this elite winner that is threatening to, you know, upturn a lot of those neuroses and doesn't give two shits about the idea of having to play sort of frilly football and it be, you know, all high pressing and possession, possession, possession. How, how does it make you feel in, in turn? I'll ask the same question. I just Honestly, I feel like there's just a lot. It's a really... It's a real melting pot. Like it's a very like heady stew. I would say there's a lot of things going on. The first thing is that that game, you 
I don't feel like you can, that wasn't a typical Conte game, right? It was crazy. So I don't feel like you can, you can necessarily draw a whole bunch of conclusions from that game because we didn't, we quite clearly in the first half, we're not playing the way he wants us to play. Um, the second half of the game was much more, was, was seeing, was being reminded of how thrilling it can be when it works. And that's why we need Sun because he makes those counters look incredible. Mm. That first goal when he gets the ball and we're, everybody in that stadium is up off their seats, right? That's it. Everyone's like waiting, waiting for something incredible to happen. And then it does. So it's thrilling when it works on a kind of personal level. To be honest, I don't like most football matches. I don't enjoy, like, I just don't enjoy them. They're too stressful. (laughs) Like in the moment, I'm not really having a good time. That's just a fact. Like, unless we're winning, you know, by like three or even four nil, I can't just, I can't, I'm spending most of the time thinking, why am, why am I here? What am I doing? This is such a weird thing to be doing with my life. I'm really like, I don't, I don't need the extra angst. So I don't find watching Conte's teams like necessarily more stressful than any other Spurs team of the past. And I, and I also have spent so long watching Tottenham be so bad in defense that I, it will take a long old time before I get bored of watching us be competent, Mm. frankly. And and I also think a lot of people, myself included, do slightly because it's all very well to say we've got this elite manager and he's going to come in and, and finally we're going to win something. But most of us thought that was going to happen with Jose. So I also feel like people, there's a whole load of like, there's some PTSD going on there as well. Mm. So it's just a lot as ever with our extremely neurotic fan base, of which I am definitely one. <laughs> so. <laughs> I don't know, really. I feel like, yeah, the results speak for themselves. His record speaks for itself. But I also don't think the football is that bad. And I think you definitely saw that in the second half on Saturday. Like, that's when it works. That's the Mm -hmm. point. And basically, what, like, who are we trying to be anyway? You know, Liverpool and City can play in that, like, possession-based attacking football way. Everybody else is kind of trying to, to find some sort of path through. And it's not like, I don't know, we're not like a big Sam team or anything. I think there's a slight overreaction from some sections of our fan base as well. Totally agree. And when we're talking about competency as well, because it always seems to get to this part sort of half an hour in and we haven't mentioned Harry Kane. Um, (laughs) It's the old hometown glory half hour Harry Kane bell. We need to ring it. You know, because we just expect it from him, but he got a goal and then his assist for the second song goal, was it, I think, was Mm, the way he picked out Son, who was in space, was just amazing. And now Son's clicked, you know, touch wood, those two are going to be like so good from from here on. Um, But yeah, shout like shouts to Harry because he's so good every week, like week in, week out. And yeah, he, he, he was brilliant, I thought. Well, and watching that par- partnership as well, isn't it? Like when you see Kane get the ball and there's like a little light that goes on in Son's brain and you see him just go, right, I'm off because he knows a pass is going to come and it does. That's just one of the most beautiful things that we've been privileged to witness in football, I think. I completely agree. And leads me to another question for you both, not quite as um, sort of philosophical perhaps, but the Kane-Son partnership, 
um, really sort of came to life once we changed formation on Saturday. We brought Basuma on for Kulu, I think, yeah, Kulusevsky. And we moved to the sort of 3-5-2, so kind of Hoybier on the left, Basuma as the kind of anchor, and then um, Benton Kura more on the right-hand side of the midfield three with Kane and Son a lot closer together. I think we saw the benefit of them being a lot closer together with uh, uh, particularly Son's second goal. Um, and also, I think it did wrestle control of the of the game in our, in our favour. I think having that extra man in midfield, particularly as I think it was the first instance we've seen some sort of Brighton Basuma make an appearance. He was winning the ball, he was giving it, you know, he looked quite sharp. Um, and is that an option we want to see more of? I mean, we have a fairly enormous game <laughs> coming up in, you know, in, in less than two weeks where maybe having an extra body in midfield, maybe you do want Kane and Son to... And, you know, we're not going to get into a big Arsenal preview now. That's going to come up. Tom made the point before we recorded. We very much need Billy to do our sort of tub thumping, um, you know, pure passion pod for that one. So don't worry, we won't we won't do that without Billy or Ash. But um, three five two looks all right. Yeah, as an option, nice to have in the back pocket, Tom. Yeah, and I mean, we mentioned that our wing backs or full backs can't really defend at the moment. So I think that that having them as all-out wingers and Perisic, Cess, uh, Royale, whoever, flying mm. forward is quite fun. Um, I think what's kind of weird in that is that we currently have four amazing attackers trying to get three spots. Yeah. So, I mean, that will make it four for two. And obviously the two probably are Son and Kane. But well, maybe Kulisewski becomes a becomes a wing-back. Who knows? Yeah, Maybe it affords you the security to have him do what he did against Marseille and be that sort of buccaneering, super attacking wing back. Who knows? Who knows? I'm just that's a good shout. But I think as you um, as you said, like it was all so chaotic in the second half that I was struggling to see the formation kind of settle. But I do think Bissouma was was much better than we've seen him in, in a Spurs shirt so far. And yeah, like you said, three of them against, say, an Arsenal is a is a great option. Mm. Rosa, what did you make of it? And would you want to see more of it? I would, but I also don't think we're going to. <laughs> I think certainly not to start games. I would genuinely be shocked at this point mm. if Conte like set up a team to begin with, with those three in midfield, as nice as it is, and as much as it would give us more a sense of kind of security, I just, I, I don't think he'll do it. I think he's, he seems so wedded to this formation. I would be absolutely shocked. I mean, you, you know, you never know. And it was really nice to see. And I was really pleased to see Basuma look a bit kind of calmer because obviously he's had a, a bit of a rough start to his career. In Like completely understandably, I'm not one of those people who thinks, oh God, why isn't, why isn't he settled already? He's had his whole preseason. I think it just takes some people a bit more time. So that was nice to see. But I just, I would be, I would be, totally shocked if Conte was like this is what we're going to do because it just doesn't it just doesn't seem to be what he does and as we all know like the results speak for themselves so mm. yeah yeah I, I when he signed I thought we were going to see that pretty much straight away because that was very much his inter formation where he had Lukaku and uh, Martinez up front with three central midfielders behind but 
I, Tom. I'm not really a formation guy, but isn't there some sort of didn't? Uh, his, was it his Chelsea title-winning season that he lost to Arsenal and then changed his formation and um, change like changed his tactics? That's where the wing backs thing sort of first, yeah, first sort of arrived, I think, for him certainly in England. Um, so I guess he, a, you know he can hopefully a crushing defeat of the Emirates doesn't spark anything in a couple of weeks, but we'll see. Um, before we move on to Spurs women, need to I know Tom you shouted out Hugo's penalty save. That save he made from Dakar at 3-2 was one of the best I think I've seen from him live. I thought he was pretty excellent all game, apart from maybe giving a few little hospital passes to Dav here and there. Hopefully this thigh injury that he's picked up that's kept him out of the French friendlies um, over the next week or so is just a precaution and he's back in time for the derby, but we'll see. Um, anyone else anyone wants to shout out I feel like we've basically covered almost everyone one other person Richarlison for winning that corner that led to Dyer's second goal because that was right under where Rosa and I were sat next to each other and he just really showed why he's there I think you know he's not just all flicks and fancy tricks and stuff he is such a hard worker and he's such a nuisance for fullbacks particularly I think you know, those sort of little moments, he's going to, you know, I don't think he's going to score like 20 goals this season, but I think the kind of the knock-on effect of him being a pest and the corners he'll win for us or the free kicks he'll win or the little passes before the pass, I think he'll just prove so invaluable across the season. Love him. Again, feels wrong to talk about Richardson without Billy here because he is now sort of uh, chief um, secretary of, of the Richardson fan club but yeah anyone else anyone wants to shout out before we move on Tom quick shout to Pierre um, for his uh, through ball on uh, Son's uh, mm. third the sixth goal uh, and I know I think a couple of weeks ago we touched on Pierre as attacking player as a kind of playmaker midfielder and uh, you know touch, mentioned uh, that he plays kind of as a more offensive midfielder for Denmark uh, yeah that through ball was wicked I think I saw a tweet during the rounds that he's kind of made put through more more through balls than any other player in the league he, and yeah. than more than some teams have done apparently he um, that whole sequence like the way he burst by I think it was indeed he was still playing at that point, but just sort of, I think Basuma nicked the ball and then Hoybier just sort of hit the afterburners and just burst by. He seemed to really come alive once we, once Basuma came on, he seemed to suddenly have every trick under the sun on that, on that left-hand side. He was, he was looking great. Um, Rose, are any, anyone else you want to shout out before we, uh, before we move? I want to shout out, the South Korean fans again to be honest because I really felt for everyone who'd shown up to obviously watch their hero and it um, seemed like there were loads on, and loads and loads like were, more so than normal right? yeah there was like a crowd in front of us right and and I just thought oh god he's been dropped and it's just it's been such a disaster and then but there they were and then he came on and scored a 30 minute hat trick and they were just <laughs> out of their minds with joy. I mean, so were we all. It was such a glorious moment, wasn't it? We all just like, there was just so much love going around the stadium. I think we all got quite emotional. But I was just so happy for us and so happy for them. It was so, so, so lovely. It was a real reminder of what a just beautiful thing it's been having all these like lovely, really super fashionable, cool, like gorgeous Korean people coming to our stadium and 
that kind of bonding that you end up doing, particularly if you if you do end up being lucky enough to sit near a few Korean fans and you kind of get chatting or just interacting with them at all, they're just they're just a wonderful addition to the stadium. I I love it, and I it would be such a terrible day if you know if and when Son does does finally go or they stop coming because you know they maybe give up on Spurs once he's not there. Please, Tottenham, just continue signing excellent Koreans so that we can continue having these brilliant people come and just enrich our match day experience because they really do. They're, they're so they're so great. There was a brilliant scene Rosa and I caught outside outside the South Stand when we were having a drink after the game where a group of um, sort of British fans, I guess you'd, you'd say, they were just passing their sort of small children to this group of Korean fans to sort of I don't know. They were just here. Have my have my child. Like a trophy. Who we like, like who, a trophy, whose yeah. child is that? Lion and King there was that one guy almost. who was like, "Yeah, son's my cousin." And we were like, "So that's why you're out here instead of in like the <laughs> VIP suite." <laughs> Shout out to Ash actually, who are like, I'm very sad he's not here to talk about like his swanky experience where he was like in some. I don't know where. Like he was in like the fancy VIP bit, right? Yeah, he got it swept looked pretty up posh. And, uh, it looked very posh indeed. Um, he is now ill, so I hope that he didn't like get anything from <laughs> didn't eat a dodgy, dodgy prawn. Is that his very but, own um... lasagna gate. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was. I mean, the, the vibe in the stadium was. I mean, obviously there was the the Queen stuff and the the slightly not entirely um, <laughs> sort of silence uh, minute silence, which sort of just captured how ridiculous football crowds can be. I, I just love the fact there was a bit of noise and someone decides to, the best way to counter that noise is to, what did someone say? Like, show some fucking respect. Fuck up. <laughs> shut the fuck you, up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which then so, just produced a so lot. Respectful. You know. So respectful. <laughs> but it did just, it was, a, it was a kind of weird vibe, Tom, wasn't it? Like just in general, that sort of setting up the game in that way, it was, it, left a sort of odd feeling around the place certainly for the first half almost I'll be honest kind of deliberately I came into the stadium as late as possible um, and actually what they'd done on our gangway was stop people coming in while they were doing the minute silence I guess so people weren't just um, just wandering in and spoiling the moment but did the the, the 70th minute kind of applause right when they mm. To, re- to recognise uh, 70 years on the throne. Didn't the, didn't like Son's first goal come soon after that? I think or it was, was a, like a, about 90 seconds afterwards. It would have been yeah. very... I was thinking at the time how weird it would have been had either... either t- I was thinking, being a Spurs fan, I was thinking, oh God, what if Leicester score? I thought it was quite... During the minutes of applause, it would be so weird. It was quite bizarre for the players because I don't know... I think they briefly <laughs> thought, are we meant to stop here? The, like the ref kind yeah. of... Looked, Looked up and thought, "Do we stop playing for a minute?" The screen, the screen stopped showing the match and went to yeah. the queen. And then, it, and then it was that weird thing of like, "Do we continue do, like just clapping for the minute, even if like we concede a goal or we score <laughs> a goal?" So I don't know. It was very strange, um, but potentially it fired Son up. I mean, that's what how you know it helped him to uh, a bit of noise helped him to score a hat trick soon after. 
I'll be honest with you. I didn't realize at first what was happening. And I thought we were all clapping for Sonny initially. And then I was like, oh, this is happening. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he is that's like, royalty. Isn't yeah, it? exactly. So. My king. My king. Okay. king. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Absolutely. Um, from kings to queens, let's talk about Spurs women um, who started the WSL season um, away at Leicester. Uh, they won 2 1. This was a far, far more sort of familiar Tottenham Hotspur narrative, right? Go ahead, 2-0 at the break. Start the second half, immediately score an own goal. Put yourselves under pressure for the rest of the game. But, Rosa, we did it. We hung on and we claimed three points to kickstart our, our, our league season in the WSL. But yes, we won. And no surprises for who opened the scoring. It was Ash Neville with an absolute wonder strike. It was just one of those moments where she just wandered right into the middle of the park and was like, I'm just going to have a go from like, God knows, however many yards out. And it was miles out. It. it was miles it was, out. Yeah. Yeah. If you've it not seen absolutely it, absolutely spectacular. It. Yeah, do. It's such, it's such an incredible goal. And it was just and like Rosa, perfect. Was she playing? Was she playing a bit further forward than she was? Like, because she was very much our right back last year, right? But did I detect she was playing a bit further, further upfield? She was, yes. Yeah. So um, they went three at the back to, um, like, as we discussed last week. So it was um, Zdorsky, Bartrip, and um, Amy Turner, who's just arrived. So. Um, yeah, so she got to play um, further up. But to be honest, she seemed to just be doing quite a lot of roaming. And like, again, I don't really, you know, you sort of hate to do that thing of comparing them with, you know, players on the men's team. But I was like, this just feels like the bail trajectory for her. Hmm, do you know what yeah. I mean? Just like gradually move all further up the pitch until you're just kind of, a, you know, a free floating roaming goal scorer, really. She was great. It was a slightly weird game because we started like, yeah, sort of three at the back and then the wing backs and then sort of three in the middle and two up front, but not, none of the sort of new forwards started. But Rosella Ryan had to go off really early with an injury, which was a real shame. Um, so then Ellie Brazil came on. But it was the sort of, it definitely looked like a kind of everyone is still settling in kind of a game. Like we did play well, but they also had quite a lot of chances and it just looked slightly, I don't know if nervy is the right word, but a bit open, I guess, given the mm. formation. Um, so that goal kind of came just at the sort of right time, a kind of nerve settling goal. And then Drew Spence got a goal on her, which was great, but unfortunately she also was uh, gave away their own goal that um, made it 2-1. So like it was a, it was a great, like obviously, it's always good to win a game, but I think especially because we didn't get to have our opening game, so we kind of got away without having to face United just yet, which I think, while it's disappointing that we didn't get to play at the stadium, it's probably a good thing that we don't have to play United just yet. So it was a kind of nice, let's get that win and get everybody kind of a bit more bedded in. Mm. I think... Yeah, everybody, like I liked Drew Spence a lot. It was a shame because I was watching her and thinking, oh, she looks great. And then my internet crashed. And then I, the next time I sort of was aware of anything going on, she'd conceded a known goal, which was a real shame. <laughs> but I think they're sort of, you know, they're carrying on as they did last season. And really, I like hopefully just with a few more goals. And yeah. honestly, of around Ash Neville, I think, again, to be honest. Um. And it, yeah, it feels like a few of the newest signings were sort of either on the bench or hadn't quite 
kind of bubbled up into first team action just yet. So it feels like there's a lot to come from the team, particularly as they do seem like they're going to take a wee while to get used to playing a back three. Um, just an easy North London derby at the Emirates coming up next for them. Um, it doesn't seem fair that both the men's and the women's next fixtures is in a way. I was going to say, God, we've both got to do it. I just, I just want to try. I just want some nice football. I just, I don't want to have to do both of those things. And oh God, that's really ghastly. Ugh. At least okay. again, well, whatever. We'll just, we'll just see what we can get from that. I guess doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, it can be exactly. quite an occasion. I know. And Arsenal... always good to go there first. I maintain this. Very much so. Yeah. And it should be a really, you know, an incredible occasion. I think Arsenal are trying to break the record for, that we hold, I believe, um, for it. for most people. Yeah. But hopefully that means we can then try and get That's it That's it. We'll get them back at, yeah, next time. Get them back both attendance and uh, and result. Um, <laughs> remember, was it, the, was it that <laughs> both League of Cup them. final? The attendance trophy. I don't care. Whichever one. The attendance one. trophy. Remember when we, we won the arch? <laughs> before that League Cup final where um, whoever was the sponsor of the League Cup at the time did some bonkers, like, was it was it done on, like, noise or some sort of, like, social media interaction? But, like, whoever I won... I think it was social media. Either yeah, way, so embarrassing. It was yeah. so embarrassing. I mean, I guess it would have been worse. Anyway, we lost the match, so it's irrelevant. But, yeah, we'll win the attendance yeah, so and that's it. the next... North London Derby was back for ours. Um, so more of our fans got to see us lose. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about culture. Um, Tom, what culture, what cultural things have you been watching, listening to, etc. please? Two things. Uh, the return of Bjork. Um, I think actually we're meant to say Bjork. But you kind of just pronounce it in a really low key way. You, like. are, you are our resident uh, Bjork experts so Yuck. we're very much looking to you for this um yeah you're ba- barely meant to say it in um if you're icelandic <laughs> i think but uh yeah she is back 56 uh i hadn't, I hadn't realized she was quite 56 and jesus 56 yeah and still the coolest woman yeah. on the on the fucking easily. planet like easily uh so her new album's coming it's called Fasora. There are two tracks out already. She's worked with uh, a Gabba, a sort of, I can't remember if they're Thai or Filipino, an Asian Gabba DJ collective um, on some stuff. She's worked with El Guincho, who's the guy who does a lot of Rosalia's uh, music as well on production. There's two incredible videos out. The, The like costumes are like Burberry and like, you know, the best fashion, I'm not a fashion guy, but the the outfits are incredible and custom designed for her. The videos are amazing. The second one that came out is by Stephen Klein, the fashion photographer. Um, And she's just amazing still. Uh, Also there's, she's released a podcast uh, and the podcast is going through her albums one by one. So I've only listened to the first one, which is about um, debut, Uh, but it's really fascinating about how, her childhood in Iceland influenced what she wanted to do and and then moving to London and kind of going clubbing and how that influenced the sound of her early music as well. It's just the the podcast is great. And I don't think I realised actually debut came out when she was 26 or seven. So she was so she was actually quite, you know, relatively old by pop standards. She'd been in the sugar cubes and stuff, obviously. Mm, anyway, she's fucking amazing and still the coolest woman on the planet. Is she playing soon? Are you, are you seeing her? 
Annoyingly, she seems to do so li- so few gigs. She did um, this run of shows with an orchestra, um, and she doesn't exactly play the hits, I, I don't think. But you know, it's uh, it's an incredible experience. But she only did one date in the UK at that Blue Dot Festival at George Hall Bank somewhere in the north, um, which was totally impractical to to go to. But hopefully, she'll announce she'll announce gigs. But yeah, that. Those new tracks are bonkers um, and brilliant, and the podcast is great. Uh, and just one other TV show, um, Ladhood, which is on iPlayer, uh, a guy called Liam Williams, who has another TV show called Please Like. Um, and it's just about his teenage years in Leeds, near Leeds, uh, and it contrasts that with his current life in London. It's extremely funny. It's so, so funny and also weirdly deep. And he just released the third series of, um, uh, and third and final series. I'd kind of say it's like, there's a tiny bit of the in-betweeners to it, I guess, but it's like miles deeper and kind of better and yeah, just really hilarious. Because that was the reason I think that I didn't, watched initially because I felt like the trailers for it made it look like a sort of in-betweeners for the 2020s and I was like I'm probably too old for this now so it's not for me but everyone well not everyone but tons of people whose uh, sort of views on telly that I very much admire love this show and it does seem like it isn't just for you know 15 year olds that want some sort of boob jokes it's like very much kind of looking to the you know fragile sort of teenage boy psyche and how we evolve and all that kind of stuff right is that fair yeah oh totally it's um there's that there's like very base you know it's not slapstick but there's some base level jokes that and then there is real there is genuine depth about growing up being a teenager and also he works at a media company in his in his 30s there's some very funny stuff about hmm. his present life in london and how it's like a massive letdown compared to where he thought he was going to be at 17. Um, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's really, really good. Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll love it. Honestly, it's not, um, it, it's kind of potentially was sold as a kind of in between as sort of teenagers mm. thing, but it's so, so funny and quite deep. He's very smart. Liam Williams, the guy that does it. And um, Tom, that. Tom, where are you? Talk to me about House of the Dragon. Where are you? Have you, are you all caught up yet? Absolutely not. No, we've done two. Okay. okay. Uh, we've only done. The Are you first in? Two. Are you in, Tom? I think so. But then I've said I've seen people say the first couple are slower, and then it kind of speeds Definitely. up. And, but there's more action. The first two, yeah. Paddy Considine's wig's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but apart from that, I think I think I'm sold. Yeah, I like. I'm liking Matt Smith. You need to keep going because, uh, yeah, episode three is a bit of a mixed bag. But episode four. I was basically is thespy actors like going at it and then sexy time. So I was like, Tom, you just need to keep going for that because it is, it, it hits that like Game of Thrones sweet spot. Also quite silly. That's um, fine. I'm up, I'm up for silly. As well. quite, that's um, yeah. quite, quite shocking as well. I thought of the fourth episode, the, the sexy time in question. I was like, oh. I know you're a. You're I mean, a I was so sort of prepped for it, coming. so I was just like, "Oh, here we are." Yeah. <laughs> also, um, R- Rosa, as you suggested, old Reese the fans is very good in it as well. He's quiet, so fucking good. Yeah. 
the scene he okay so the scene that he has in episode four he has a scene with paddy and it's just proper like let's do this let's act do you know what i mean like they've got it and it's just very 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 cool um yeah i'm obviously fully into it and it's basically like all i watch and if anyone else is into it because i have now i've gone through like quite a few game of Thrones podcasts and the one that is my absolute favorite is called trial by content so i would recommend that they do it's quite they split it so if you haven't read the book and or you just don't want to be spoiled there's like the first half is just general chit chat about it and then the second half they kind of go deeper into it so if you kind of want to think about having so I really recommend that one it's just really fun I just can't really watch a tv show anymore without having some sort of like audio accompaniment I've realized and Rosa are you are you um are you satisfied with how good it is is it living up to your expectations yeah I feel quite there was a, there's a couple of things I'm, I sort of wasn't super into. I feel like I could have seen, I was a bit disappointed with the way they just made Rhaenyra like this kind of sulky teenager for like three years. Mm. I, like, like, I, I don't feel like they really thought about that relationship enough, but I think they rescued it this week. I mean, you know, Game of Thrones is much like Tottenham Hotspur. It's a roller coaster. Like even the early years of Game of Thrones, which were better than the later years, it was a hot mess at times, right? Like quite literally, yeah. Quite yeah, literally. exactly. There's loads of stuff I never liked about it, and that stuff is still in House of the Dragon. And then there's loads of stuff I do like about it. So it's it's never going to be perfect. But once again, I'm in a state of acceptance about the things mm. I love. You are conditioned <laughs> to love these types of things. Clearly. That's it, basically. Um, anything else? Have you just, are you totally dragged up right now? Is there anything else you're enjoying? I finally started watching season two of Hacks last night. Um, and I've only got one episode in and I feel like they've, like there are more actual jokes this time around, right? Like, I feel <laughs> like it made me actual, like, lol more this time like several occasions whereas I feel like the first season was funny but more of a kind of mood whereas this is actually cracking me up I feel slightly bad because like Jimmy and Kayla are so fucking funny right they're just so funny and I feel like it's a bit of a oh here's this show finally there's a show about like an older woman and here I'm laughing at like the younger woman and the other dude but they're really really funny so what are you gonna do they're really funny. And didn't didn't yeah. Jean, Jean Smart just got an Emmy, didn't she? She she did, she did. So you know, she gets a lot of recognition. I feel like she would forgive me yeah. for saying these other guys are really funny too. Sorry, Jean. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I I still haven't watched the second. I we only got halfway oh, through the first, really which I feel like is sacrilege. So yeah, we need to do Ladhood. We need to go back to Hacks. That's my my homework. Um, I finished the capture season two of the capture which is on on the bbc which is really good i spoke about it last week but the last couple of episodes holiday granger and uh papa residue are so good in this and it's such a step up from the slightly kind of schlocky first season of this show which you don't really have to watch to, to watch the second one i wouldn't say really you could just sort of read a bit of a synopsis and you'd be fine it's just that kind of um, slightly preposterous, but really slick and lovely looking with some good actors in thing that the BBC does really well. And was he from I May Destroy You? Yes. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and it's just really good for these sort of suddenly very dark uh you know autumn evenings when you just want to sort of curl up and yeah watch something that's very slick and a bit preposterous but very watchable so that i would recommend definitely having now finished that season it's also got a really satisfying end to the second season like it's very rare that i come away from any any end of a series being like oh they really did well to wrap that stuff up and they tied all the bows up and it was every character i understand why they got to where they got to this does a really good job um anyway yeah, so that's why i don't like generally don't watch thrillers and cop shows because the the ending is always terrible and every murder mystery there's always a like what was it Broadchurch or whatever the one everyone mm. loved and then it was just like oh was a, this guy was a pedo and he killed the kid <laughs> like it's just always that, that. Was, that's basically how they finished all seasons of Broadchurch. Um, a <laughs> uh, couple of musicy things as well. Um, Hold the Girl by Rina Soyama came out last week. I don't know if it, if it's actually as compelling as her first album, which I really loved, and I thought sort of marked her out as like one of the most exciting people in British music. This feels a bit more safe and a bit more done by committee in terms of. I feel like there's they've just kind of lined up every deluxe producer and songwriter to try and turn her into a sort of 24 carat star but I still think she's like well worth looking at as one of our very best pop stars and there's a few moments on the album which I think really do show just how interesting and thrilling she is as an artist so definitely give that a go um and there's a new Fred again track that came out last week as well called Danielle Smile on My Face which I just I've, again, I feel a bit bad talking about Fred again without Ash here because he's our sort of big Fred again um, champion, but he just doesn't miss as far as I'm concerned. I feel like that guy's just, just gold every time he's wicked and this track I love. Um, it's also a new uh, Muramasa album called Demon, Demon Time, which came out to almost no fanfare at all uh, on Friday, which considering just how sort of hotly tipped he was for a couple of records, but I suppose shows that cautionary tale of if you Tom I think you put it if you sort of if you're a dance producer and you start singing on your own records and go a bit emo for your for your second album bad things tend to happen and that is what happened with him I think this is a kind of return to form but that first album was so incredible that yeah I'm sort of itching for him to get back there don't know if this is that I need to give it a bit more time but yeah, Demon Time by, by Muramasa. I'll be listening to a bit more this week as well. Um, and that's that. That is our show. Thank you ever so much for watching. That's season two, episode seven of Hometown Glory in the bag. Tom, thank you ever so much for your company. Rosa, of course, yours too. Um, we'll be back before the North London Derby to preview. Um, well, obviously, we're into international break now, so you can have a little rest from us. Um, and we'll see you very soon. Rosa, can you see us off, please, in Billy's absence? Up the spurs. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.